Matthew 24, 31. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call to gather his elect from one end of heaven to the other. Mark 13, 20. If the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. Luke 10, 22. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom I choose to reveal him. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. Acts 13, 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and all those who were appointed to eternal life believed. Romans 9.16, and so salvation depends not on the will or effort of man, but on God. 1 Corinthians 1.26-30, God chose the foolish, the weak, and the low, so that none of us may boast. Because of God... We are in Christ. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith. This isn't of your own doing. Philippians 1.6 And I am sure of this, that he who began this good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.12 And so, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 And we always give thanks to God for you because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. 2 Timothy 2.10 Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Titus 1.1 Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Revelation 13.6-8 And the beast opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, and all who dwell on the earth will worship the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. The doctrine of election is this. The salvation of God's people unto eternal life is not determined by their choosing God, but by God's choosing them. God is the decisive agent in our salvation. And that much is communicated time and time again in Scripture. And yet, let's be compassionate to one another here for a second. That is nevertheless mystifying. In Psalm 139, King David marvels at the sovereign agency of God. He says, Oh Lord, before I was born, you wrote all of my days in your book, and yet that level of knowledge is beyond me. It is so high, I cannot comprehend it. The doctrine of election 
is not unlike the phenomena of energy. Even the best and brightest scientific minds don't fully comprehend energy, but they don't dismiss it or try to explain it away. Instead, they are compelled to believe that energy is real and they prize its life-giving effects. In a very similar way, in all humility, we at Oaks do not fully comprehend God's sovereign and providential and predestining election. But just because we don't fully comprehend it doesn't mean we shouldn't believe it and prize its life-giving effects. As we considered at the outset of our summer orientation series, scripture is God's word to us. And in it, he has communicated all that he wants us to know and believe and do. Now, there are things that God does not explain to us in scripture. So when scripture is silent on the who's and the why's of certain things, it's not because God forgot to tell us. He chose not to tell us. And so it is with the doctrine of election. The only reason God gives for his election of people unto salvation and eternal life is found in Romans 9, 15. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. God owes us no further explanation than that. He is not obligated to tell us whom he will save nor why. The thing that should straight up astound us is that he saves sinners at all. At all. Although God does not tell us whom he will save nor why, he does tell us how. Through the preaching and believing of the gospel message. If you are a follower of Christ here this morning, if you are a child of God, a member of his forever family, it is because someone preached and you believed the gospel message. And that message is this, although you have rebelled, against the God who created you for his glory. And although you deserve punishment of eternal separation, Christ came into the world to reconcile you to God. He lived the holy life that you have failed to live, and he died the sinner's death that you deserve to die. And then he rose to life that you would turn from sin and call upon him for forgiveness and eternal life. That's the gospel message. And that's the message that was preached to and believed by every child of God here. And yet mysteriously, hold the, hold the phone. Mysteriously, even our belief that we have placed in the message of the gospel is not something we can take credit for. Listen to John 1, 10 through 13. Jesus came into the world that he made. But the people did not receive him. And yet, those who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of blood, nor of their own will, but of God. Even our belief 
is not an act of our own willpower. The Apostle Paul emphasizes this in Philippians 2.13 when he writes this. Church, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Do that. But know this. It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm convinced that 4th century theologian Augustine of Hippo was right when he wrote this. God chooses us not because we believe, but that we may believe. It is a mystery of mercy. And it begs the question, what about our unbelieving sons and daughters? What about our unbelieving friends and relatives and neighbors and co-workers? Look, we must preach the gospel to them and urge them to believe. God makes that very clear in his word. But more importantly, we must also pray for them because belief requires more than listening ears. It requires new birth. Jesus explains this to Nicodemus in John 3, verses 1 through 8. Unless one is born again, he cannot accept the things of God. And only the Holy Spirit can render someone born again. And in the same way that the wind blows where it wishes, Jesus says, so it is with the Holy Spirit. So once again, once again, we see that God is mysteriously the decisive agent in taking the gospel message through our ears and down into our heart. This is what the Apostle Paul is getting at in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 5, when he writes this, For we know, brothers and sisters, that God has chosen you, and we know that because the gospel came to you not just in word, but in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. That's why we know God has chosen you. Each and every born-again believer among us, each and every child of God is such because God the Father decreed the good news of God the Son and God the Holy Spirit has opened our hearts to believe it. Our salvation is a triune effort and I'm not one of them. And none of us can fully comprehend this truth. We can't. I'm not trying to stand here arrogantly as if I've figured this out. I have not. Like King David says in Psalm 139, this kind of knowledge is too high for me. I don't understand. I don't. And yet, how can I not prize it? How can we not prize it? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. I'd invite you to follow along as I read verses 3 through 14. This is the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me, brothers and sisters? Father, blessed be your name. For you have saved us to the praise of your glory. We ask that you would be pleased to teach us your word by your Holy Spirit in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. In this passage, Paul is enraptured in joy at God's sovereign, providential, predestining power. For the remainder of our time with our eyes on this passage, let's consider three quick reasons why we prize election at Oaks. Number one, God's election of sinners is an act of profound love. Number two, God's election of sinners is a source of unspeakable security. Number three, God's election of sinners should thrust us into ever grateful worship. Number one, God's election of sinners is an act of profound love. Before the foundation of the world, Paul writes in the middle of verse four. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. What? Before the foundation of the world, God chose us that we should be holy and blameless and he did this in love. We've got to believe God at his word. It was in love that he predestined us for adoption as his children through the work of Jesus Christ. Brother, sister, why are you here? Because God loves you. Why do you believe the gospel and submit to Christ? Because God loves you. Why? Are you slowly but surely growing up into the holy blamelessness of God? Because God loves you. This is profound for both you and I because we deserve anything but God's love. That's what we deserve. We have all sinned, fallen short of his righteous standard. Paul actually quotes from the Psalms in Romans chapter 3 when he writes this. Be sobered by this. None is righteous, no, not one. We have all turned aside, he writes. No one does good, wait for this one. No one seeks for God, not even one. The word of the Lord. 
may we see apart from God's miraculous loving mercy none of us would be saved Romans 5 7 through 8 rarely will anyone die for another righteous person but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us God's election of sinners is a profound act of love point number 2 God's election of sinners is a source of unspeakable security verse 7 in him church we have redemption through his blood we're not waiting for that we're not hoping for that we have it we have forgiveness for our sin and the riches of God's grace toward us has no expiration date glory verse 11 in him we have obtained an inheritance we're not waiting for that yes we're waiting for the fullness of God's kingdom to be consummate we have obtained this though according to the purpose of him listen according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will not some things not the easy things to swallow not the happy things not the things that are just easy to believe no according to him who works all things according to the counsel of his will this is the word of the Lord verse 13 in him you also when you heard and believed the gospel you were sealed with the Holy Spirit so church in other words in God's electing wisdom he has placed his seal of guarantee upon us so it is not up to you and I to finish what he started it's up to him to finish what he started in us who shall bring any charge against God's elect Romans 8 33 and who shall separate us from the love of Christ guess what not death not life not angels not demons nor any powers not the present not the future not height nor depth not anything in all of creation is able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord who shall bring a charge against God's elect no one because it's God who has justified them period Brothers and sisters, since you and I were not the decisive agents in our coming to Christ, we will not be the decisive agents in our falling away. I would have done that already if it were up to me. I would have chosen again the things of this world. I would have returned to vomit like a dog. We are prone to wander. We sang that in the song, Come Thou Found. But God's grip on us is as sure as his glory. And that is a source of unspeakable security. Number three, God's election of sinners should thrust us into ever grateful worship. Listen to Paul, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for 
He has blessed us, he writes. He has chosen us, he writes. He has adopted us. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. He has lavished us. He has sealed us, verse six. And he has done all of this to the praise of his glorious, unmerited favor, his grace, verse 14, all to the praise of his glory. Do you hear the gratitude dripping out of Paul's words? He is elated that he belongs to God because of the sheer mercy of God. So I'm going to have you imagine something a little strange, okay? Imagine you're drowning. Not fun, but just do it with me for a second. Imagine you're drowning, and after someone throws a life preserver into the water, you somehow manage to paddle over and grab hold of it. Look, you would no doubt be grateful to that person for throwing in a life preserver, but in truth, you're alive because of a combined effort. A life preserver was made available to you, and it just so happens that you had the strength and the wherewithal to swim over and grab it. Now imagine a different scenario. Imagine you're drowning, and you don't have the strength nor the wherewithal to get to that life preserver. You sink beneath the surface of the water and plummet to the bottom of the sea. But the person who threw the life preserver is utterly unwilling to let you go. He dives in after you. He swims to the bottom of the ocean and retrieves your lifeless body before lifting you on board and resuscitating you to life. Now imagine the reason you're alive is entirely due to the merciful work of someone else. Words wouldn't even begin to express how grateful you would be. And so it is with God's election of sinners. As Paul so explicitly writes in Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 5. Hear this as if he's writing it to you because he is. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You weren't just limping. You weren't just bleeding a little bit. You weren't just floundering around trying to figure out which God to serve. You were dead. Spiritually dead. You were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air. You shared the same spirit as the sons and daughters of disobedience, Paul writes. Those who carry out the passions of their flesh and the desires of their fallen minds. But God... My favorite words in scripture, verse four, but God. And this is what we're about to celebrate as we partake of the Lord's Supper. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved this ain't of your doing at all period stop trying to take partial credit stop trampling on the glorious single-handed grace of God you and I were dead at the bottom of the sea of our sin 
and now we have been made alive in Christ. And I can't explain to you how or why other than this. I believe the gospel that was preached to me. And in my belief, God sealed me as his chosen before the foundation. It wasn't me doing it. It was him. And I came to him at the same time. Holy cow. Right? Let your mind be blown. And don't let this shake you from mission. Because we get to go. We get to leave this place today armed with the gospel. And here's why we have all the confidence in the world. God is powerful to save those whomever, whomever he will. It's not like we're going out into a defeated mission already where no one is going to. No, 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 no. People will listen and their hearts will receive it because God says so. The bread and the cup of the Lord's Supper reminds us that the wages of our sin was death. But Christ took our sin. He died our death to secure our forgiveness. <laughs> Lord, give us the gratitude that we see Paul having here. The Lord's Supper is to be taken by men and women who have been cut to the heart by the truth of the gospel and who are growing in the evidence of it, displaying the fruit of the Spirit. If this does not describe you, if you are not a follower of Jesus, we ask that you not partake in the Lord's Supper. Instead, we ask that you would trust on, believe on the name of Christ. And myself or Pastor Seth or Pastor Ed or virtually anyone would like to help you in that process. Don't take of the Lord's Supper with us this morning. Do take of Christ. Choose this day whom you will serve. Parents of younger children, we also strongly encourage you to wait to serve communion to your kids. And it's not because we want to dishearten them. It's because we do want to wait for that blessed season when they are standing on the two feet of their own faith. And there is evidence in their lives. There is patterned evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in them. Let's wait. We're not in any rush Let's partake of the Lord's Supper in a posture of repentance. <laughs> I always love how Pastor Ed leads us through the confession of sin. Look, we have been forgiven sins, past, present, and future. But my goodness, his kindness leads. I want to address that I don't. I often, I every day walk in a way that I should not. And I avoid things that I should be embracing. Oh Lord, forgive me. So let's partake of the Lord's Supper in a posture of repentance. Let's partake of the Lord's Supper in a posture of celebration. That you're here because God has started something in you. And he will bring to completion what he has started in you. That's a promise of scripture. Let's partake of the Lord's Supper in a posture of gratitude. We are here by grace. We're here by grace. We get to do this. We are his people. As I pray, I would invite our communion servers to come forward. And at the end of, of our prayer together, you're welcome, believing men and women, you're welcome to come forward at any point in time. And Ed Tarakis is going to lead us in some singing as, as we partake. Let's bow our heads in 
repentant gratitude and celebration. Father, I absolutely love the words of Isaiah 43.1 that were, yes, in context, spoken over your chosen nation, Israel. But in Christ, these things are spoken over us in him. You say this, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Lord, may that set a tone for our coming to the table to receive these elements that point us to the body and blood of Jesus, your son, whom you poured out on the cross as he bore our sin, dying our death, being buried in the tomb that we had coming for us and rising, raising to life, Lord, that we might know that he is God, he is good, and all the promises of God find their yes in him. We have come to know and believe and be elated by this because you have made it known to our hearts. By grace, we have been saved. Please forgive us for all the times we try to make it about our doing, our choosing, our wisdom, our intellect, our humility. It's all because of you. You get all of the credit in this place. And we prize your election of sinners. We thank you for that, that cross, that emblem, upon which Jesus cried out with utter finality, it is finished. Please let us take in a spirit, in a posture of repentant celebration and gratitude. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.